heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Without a doubt, this verdict was one that really the world was waiting for because just about everybody knew if this thing didn't go the way that they had predicted. And let me be very clear. They set this picnic up well before the verdict happened. This thing was set like a well-groomed picnic out in the woods somewhere uh, where everything was perfectly in place because everybody had already weighed in on this thing including the president of the United States, uh, suggesting what they would like to see. Uh, This is, uh, you know, what has happened to justice in our country, really? It it is so screwed up, I have to tell you at the moment. And this whole business about blind justice is, I've, I've dismissed that entirely from my vocabulary because she just needs to take the, the blindfold off. We are onto the games here. There is nothing blind about any justice here. It is out in the open. And I say that not to be, again, a complete smart guy here, but to make us aware of what's happening to justice in America. I'm not even speaking about whether Derek Chauvin was guilty or innocent. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the plain facts that weigh in heavily with a jury and a judge and a system, and then here it is, right? And then had it gone the other way, there's, oh my God, and of course the media, oh, we're sending all the troops to here and troops, we got to load all the troops into Chicago and we got to load them over here in New York and LA and we've got to be prepared because if the jury doesn't do their duty, what we told them to do, well, then we'll burn the damn cities down again, right? Isn't that really what happens here? You know, and so now, you know, it's now we're after we, we've gotten sort of over the hurdle a bit here. And now it's like, OK, everybody can breathe the moment now. Now, the next big thing is, will they appeal? Well, he better not appeal. Right. I mean, you see, does he have a right? Of course he has a right. But the system, I, I think this is what really bothers me is the system has layered on here so badly it's not about whether somebody is guilty or innocent or any of the above. I mean, it really is that they want a certain outcome. And this is what's really uh, troubled uh, to me, troublesome to me with our entire system, really, and justice, political, all of it. They want a, a desired outcome and everything works toward that outcome. This is not a good sign, people. This is not a good trajectory for our, our nation. It simply is not. I mean, justice should always play out to be justice. It should be that way. But we're going down some roads these days that are dangerous as hell for our country. And we're seeing it with everything. The desired outcome they want is what the narrative is. And of course, you know, the the media, they're all too quick to step in line right behind this scenario. You see? Oh, yeah. And they preach it out there and and of course, the sad thing about it is of uh, many Americans, tens of millions of Americans are drinking that Kool-Aid. You see, they're drinking that Kool-Aid and they believe everything they hear on these crazy programs, which want a desired outcome 
and that's what they play their narrative to all of it. What about just being fair a moment? Can't, can't we just be fair? Can't we just leave the blindfold on and really look at a case for the merits and decide, okay, you know, because there are a lot of people, certainly there are a lot of conservatives and Republicans who would have convicted this man as well. For, and um, it doesn't matter what I think right now. I'm just telling you that this is a fact, you see? So I, there's a lot to be said about this Derek Chauvin case. And I want to start there in that big element uh, to, su to suggest to you, because I, I think that uh, we're, we're, we're in uh, some dangerous territory on cases like this, where they, they want this desired outcome. And so we'll talk about that today. Also want to talk about this other one, which is quite the story, actually. Brian Sicknick here. This is the Capitol Police officer in Washington, D.C., January 6th. I mean, that's all I got to say to you is January 6th. That, that date is, is uh, you know, in, in just built in everybody's mind now. They know what I mean when I say that, the Capitol riot, right? And so Brian say he was the Capitol Police officer, and that was that controversial case. It was quite a story that we will also talk about today. And where the evidence, really, back to justice again, right? We, what did the evidence really show? Well, again, they wanted a false narrative. It's the same story, really. They wanted the same thing in that case, but they didn't get it. But they darn well wanted it. But you know what? They but the damage was done from people like Speaker Pelosi. The damage was done because it was all about Mar and Trump up back then. And show that, oh, his MAGA people, they're like haters and killers. Everything they do on the far left, the Marxist left, is what they pin on really loving, decent, uh, God-fearing Americans, right? Isn't that the case? Yeah. It should give everybody a pause, these two cases, I have to tell you here. So let's start now with Chauvin. I want to bring on Dr. Ron Martinelli. Now, uh, Dr. Martinelli, he is uh, for sure uh, one of the premier forensic voices in the nation. You see him on national television all the time talking about these cases, uh, and we are blessed to have him here uh, and uh, he, he, this is what, this is his life. This is what he studies and does. So he knows far more about this than, than about all of us. Uh, and so I, I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this. And uh, so Dr. Martinelli, let's start with um, the, the case itself, Derek Chauvin, and talk about, uh, here's some things I want to throw at you here, first of all. This is before the verdict now. Now, now, now just give me your honest reaction to this, but let me share with listeners a, a few bullet points, please, okay? And they're this. Before the verdict was out, shortly before the verdict, Kamala Harris said a guilty verdict still won't heal the pain that existed for generations due to systemic racism. Again, calling America a, a systemic racist nation because one police officer does one thing with a criminal thug on a particular afternoon and we're a systemic racist nation now, right? Maxine Waters urges people to continue protesting. Uh, uh, you know, don't worry about the curfew, the hell with the curfew. And, um, and she, she says, I came here for one reason. I'm hopeful that the protests will continue. I mean, she told people to get out on the streets and raise hell. I mean, her statements were so over the top and being talked about everywhere. Uh, you know, so, and of course, the House Speaker Pelosi and, and Waters, uh, she came out and said Maxine Waters did not need to apologize after many tried to censor her and say she needed to apologize. Uh, so that got a little messy as well. Uh, there was the request to move the case to get a fairer trial. That was denied because this was done right in the center of hell where it all happened. 
while, while the jury was being selected, the city of Minneapolis announced publicly they made a $27 million, uh, how about I say, donation uh, to the Floyd family, who are ultimately very wealthy now. Uh, and then, you know, they, the jury wasn't allowed to be sequestered, so they got all this information right at the top. And, I mean, you know, this is, you can't make this stuff up. So talk to me about that part of the deal, all of these people weighing in before the verdict. Was this right? No, it's 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 not right at all. And, uh, you know, I've followed this trial, obviously. I've opined on national media about the circumstances of the in-custody death of uh, George Floyd. But uh, the jurist, uh, the judge in this case, I thought was a, a very fair man. The only thing I disagreed with is I thought that the jury needed to be sequestered. And then for obvious reasons. Uh, we now, do now not stop want... there. Why didn't they sequester the jury? Why? Well, I, I, I tell you the truth. I don't know. I don't know what was in okay. the mind of the judge. There were two things that initially bothered me uh, about this case, of which, you know, things bother me about this case on many levels. But to answer your question specifically, number one, they needed to have a change of venue. But then uh, I, I don't know any other city that would have accepted it because of the, the extreme potential for violence. And let me just date myself uh, with, with our listeners. My first federal case was Rodney King. Hmm. And it was my first case. Los and Angeles. at that time, at that time, I was working for the United States Department of Justice as a consultant, non-disclosed, uh, and uh, in the prosecution of the officers in that case. If you remember, they had been acquitted uh, in, in the state's case. And uh, the, uh, the rioters at that time burned uh, South Central Los Angeles to the ground. We had about three and a half billion dollars worth of damage and over 50 people were killed during those riots. And so the, the question that any city would want to ask themselves is, do I want something like that in my town? So I don't really think, I think the judge was probably thinking, well, God, where the heck could I put this, this trial uh, up in Alaska? You know, where, where would that be? Uh, so that's, that's the answer to number one. Number two I absolutely agreed with the judge when he said to Maxine Waters, the legislative branch needs to stay out of the judicial branch where it makes reckless uh, statements and opinions and determinations and threats. So when Maxine Waters comes to town, and that's uh, just before the jury is impaneled, and she says publicly we need to continue this. I'm here for one purpose. We need to confront uh, the systemic racism. We need to be in people's faces. I think the actual term she used was confrontation. She did. That is an inflammatory statement that if riots had occurred, she could have been indicted. I think we could have made a great argument for indictment. But look at what she said in comparison to what Donald J. Trump said on January 6th. I mean, there's not even, those are two levels of statements. Her statement was so inflammatory uh, that, <laughs> I mean, I can't see why she wasn't, uh, you know, sanctioned or censured by her colleagues. Well, they, they didn't because, they, again, the, and this is the thing about, this is a perfect moment to bring up this point, Ron. The left, the, the Marxist left, they're lock in step 
I mean, they, they are really, they're, they're like a well-groomed military unit. They are lock in step. You can see them, and they don't, they don't differ from that. You see, back to your comparison there on the 6th at the Capitol with Donald Trump, the, the right is never lock in step. They're happy to throw anybody under the bus quickly. Uh, and so they don't play the same game. See, that's where the left is beating our, beating our asses up here. Not only are they lock in step, but they do everything in a criminal fashion, uh, but they don't have America's best interest at heart. Uh, and they're, they're doing all these things and lying to the American people and the media has their back. And that's a bad recipe, Ron. You know, Malcolm, the thing, and I just saw on the, the news where they had the vote. Okay, so there was a vote. I think uh, Speaker McCarthy, uh, the minority speaker, uh, had uh, brought forward a, uh, a motion to censure uh, Maxine Waters. Now, they're both from California, okay, and they're very close to each other uh, as far as districts. I think they might even be in adjoining districts. And what happened was every single Democrat in the House of Representatives voted not to censor Maxine Waters. Okay, it was it was a party line vote to the person. There wasn't a single Democrat that agreed with a simple motion. And by the way, it was it, even though the motion was brought by Speaker Minority Speaker McCarthy, right. it was not his language. He used the language of the judge in the in the Derek Chauvin trial. He used exactly that language, and he said, based on what the judge feels here, I believe we need to have a motion to censure, uh, because this is not her first time, if you remember. Right, okay, if you remember last year, uh, she was talking about getting into conservatives and Republicans' faces. Remember? Tell them that they're not wanted. Go, see them when they're eating dinner, when they're filling up their car full of gas, and she's just full of inflammatory rhetoric. And by the way, this is a woman who has been in Congress well over 30 years and never brought a meaningful piece of legislation, not even near yeah. a meaningful piece of legislation yeah. to help the people in her district or in the United States of America. Well, not one. And Ron, she is a very, very wealthy person many times over. Every one of these cats live in beautiful mansions with gates and people and armed guards and God knows what else, you know. She doesn't even live in her own district, Malcolm. Right, she exactly. has six houses She's enriched not only herself, but her family, and she doesn't even live in the district that she represents. So, so yeah, and that's a great point to bring up. But, but here's here's what's so egregious about this is then, you, and this is what's really sick about our whole system, and then you take a Speaker of the House. I mean, you just look at this in plain, plain English of Nancy Pelosi, and you see that she comes out, no, there's no need for Maxine Waters to apologize. Again, lock in step with whatever the whatever they want, and they're totally out of control. But yet, when Donald Trump says peacefully and patriotically, uh, you know, you go to the Capitol, but he never said, you know, whatever, confrontation, bang anybody over the head, jump the fence, do it. He never said any of that. But they made it out to be a monster. And see, this is why we're in trouble in our country, Ron. And this is a really big point. And yet our media goes along with the lie. They go, this is what's so, this is what's so sick about this that really gets me angry. The media goes along with the lie, the lie. And they back her up. Now, you know, then you have to say, Ron, are they all in the tank against us? 
you know, <laughs> of course, of course they're in the tank against us. Just take a look at, and you know, I, I talked about this in, in my, my best-selling book, The Truth Behind the Black Lives Matter Movement and the War on Police. I have a, a, a section of a chapter there. Matter of fact, it's an entire chapter about the media. And then I have a section in that chapter talking about Al Sharpton, who is now a contributing paid uh yeah. you know, show host on MSNBC. And you want to talk about a racist who has actually given speeches talking about the murder of white people. And this is who yeah. the, the progressive left media uses as a national spokesman for their for their cable channel. Well, well let's be Absolutely clear, Ron. Let, 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 let's be clear. The, 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 what you just point out right there, uh, the left is very racist. They, they are the racist, but this is what they do. They, they have the projectionism down real well. Whatever they tell you you are is what they are. And, and they've been doing that right along the program here. And that's what we're seeing here. All right, let me turn the table a little bit here and uh, get back on track with um, this. Uh, not, uh, I'm going to throw, I'm going to ask you right out here because I'm seeing a lot of different people in my ears, in my circle, some uh, about the verdict I'm talking about now. Now, so he, here it is. And we'll talk about the evidence and what happened here in just a moment here. But I think the question is, would you have convicted him uh, on what you have done this on well, all three charges, right? Manslaughter, second and third degree murder. He got the book thrown at him, basically. Now, sentencing won't be for, oh, I think about a couple of months now, be about eight, nine weeks away before the judge sentences, I'm, I'm, I'm certain. Uh, so we really don't know what the sentence is yet. Could be as little as 12 years. And I believe the max, I think it could be up to 40 years, Ron. But but anyways, talk to me on, on uh, this um this verdict was this the right verdict would you and let's get into the evidence in a moment but answer that question first would you have uh, on the jury or what would you have convicted him i would not have convicted him on the charges that he was convicted on but i do believe that uh, his uh, his law enforcement actions that day and the way that he applied force to uh, george floyd who at the time was obviously yeah, he was resisting, but he was also experiencing what we call a, a psychomedical emergency. And I think a, a reasonably trained officer would have acted differently. I do not believe, and this is just me, I do not believe based on my you know, education training experience, not only as a law enforcement officer, but as a forensic uh, investigator and a death investigator, that uh, his actions were the proximate cause of George Floyd's death. I don't think the the people ever proved that however i do believe that what uh officer chauvin did his actions did contribute to what we would say is uh, elevating mr floyd's onboard psychomedical emergency uh elevating his blood pressure his heart rate his respiration uh he was all all you know already in an agitated chaotic state of state at the time and during the last three minutes to me when I look at the body cam uh, video he was clearly unresponsive and yet the officer continued uh, to place pressure on him now there are a lot of intricacies in this case that we can go into later but I just want to answer your question I would have convicted him on a lesser a lesser charge than what he was convicted on. you you wouldn't have done the second or third degree matter you m murder you would have done the manslaughter
Yeah, I would have done. Uh, I I would have done a more of a, a reckless uh, manslaughter. Reckless yeah. endangerment is yeah. is what I think uh, this case right. showed. It, yep. it certainly did not have any of the elements of murder. Right. Yeah. And yet the, the jury who was being led to get to that outcome that everybody wanted from that side of the program uh, did uh, so they could prevent probably the cities being burned down, gave them what they wanted. Uh, had the jury been sequestered, <clears throat> had Waters shut her mouth, had other people and the president stayed off of it, had it could have been a different jury case. They might have come back with what you suggested. But it was said, it was told right in the primetime media that if this jury doesn't come back and throw the book at this guy, bing and a bing and a bing and a bing and a bing, then we're going to torch and we're going to burn and break and loot to the Dollar Generals again. And the people in the policy say, oh my golly, we can't have that. So we better convict this guy. You know, I, I look back at that video that was seen around the world, uh, probably was seen on other planets by about now, Ron, but that video that was shown with uh, Derek Chauvin there um, and um, uh, George Floyd, and this case is, uh, it's one of those historical cases, like you say, like when you reference back to Rodney King in LA, this is one of those cases that will be documented in a big way. Um, you know, the uh, the death that you were just talking about, as we dive into the evidence in a second here, but here's the thing. Uh, it was absolutely, I think you're saying, a, contributing, a contributor factor of this case, right? It was a contributor factor of the death, more than likely. And the thing is, as any trained uh, professional, you don't mark people to death and keep your knee on them in any regard if, if, they're, if you can't breathe and asking for air. I mean, nobody should be in that position because that does change the rules of the road at that point. So here's what I want to ask you here, and then we'll dive into the evidence. Does this conviction, this, this, let's talk, because now we're talking law enforcement, Ron. We're talking about, um, so does this conviction signal a new era of police accountability in your estimation? And that's a multifaceted question because are more police officers going to be hesitant to do anything like that? Does it teach them a lesson or does it get them to back off entirely and let the George Floyds of the world, world the criminals, run free? Wow, that, that's, all, that's a whole bunch of questions. So let me just try to do this very succinctly. Uh, number one, your question is, is it going to change the paradigm of law enforcement? Absolutely. Uh, and we have been seeing... Uh, that paradigm of law enforcement uh, ever since uh, Michael Brown uh, changing. And by the way, I chapter two in my book is Michael Brown, right? So I certainly know what has happened to Ferguson, and I absolutely know what happened in Ferguson. Again, though, uh, riots primarily destroyed minority-owned businesses in, in the, the city of Ferguson, in, in the you know ground zero area there, and many of those built businesses have not, has not come back. So yes, it's, it's changing the paradigm. The next thing, how is it changing the paradigm? If you take a look at what's going on around the country and look at two states, look at the, the state of New York and look at the state of California as bellwether states, both of them very uh, uber left, very progressive uh, left states. Uh, both of them have super majorities uh, not only is the governor democratic, but the legislature is democratic. And so they've been acting, enacting a slew of laws and also the courts there, very liberal in each state. If you look at New York, they just lost qualified immunity. Uh, 
That is, and I think California is next, and I think other states are going to follow in lockstep. So what is qualified immunity? Very quickly, it is like an insurance policy for officers that says the court rulings are that if an officer acts in an objectively reasonable manner, he's doing the right thing. He is acting in accordance with his education, training, and experience in, in, in lieu of the circumstances right, which are rapidly evolving, tense, and uncertain. If he does the right thing, but someone is injured or someone is killed, he has qualified conditional immunity from uh, criminal prosecution or civil litigation. He, he gets off because he was doing the right thing. However, now they've removed that. So that means that an officer can still be doing the right thing but he can be criminally prosecuted and he can be civilly prosecuted as an individual and literally lose, not only can he be jailed or in prison, but he can lose everything that he owns, all of his property out the window. So who is going to want to do this job? That's that's a big problem right there. Um, let's let's turn the page and talk about the evidence a moment here. It, it, here's what I would ask you to do. I, I want listeners to really understand. Let just let's take just a couple of minutes here. Let's go through the the uh, run the um, the bullet points. The one, two, three, four. As the jury was looking at this case to make the verdict, there are people in my ear saying the evidence was simply not there. Now we're talking about the actions of the police officer and the knee and all of that, but we're talking about the contributing factors of death here. I'm talking about what really contributed to that death, and we know about the drugs. We know about his uh, ailments. Uh, and he was not a healthy, uh, but, but beyond the criminal record, he had problems, but he was not the saint the left has put out as they always do with these, like the Michael Browns, they make them saints and they're really criminals. Uh, but talk about that evidence, please. Uh, what is the one, two, three uh, uh, bullet points listeners need to know? Yeah, and there's these are real complicated issues, so I'm gonna try to dumb it down. Please. Uh, number one, uh, cause of death was listed as a drug, drug toxicity with associated, uh, you know, cardiovascular problems and in concert with restraint by police. So the, the medical examiner did not list uh, the restraint as the, the cause of death. The proximate cause of death was as indicated. He had a toxic level, which means it could kill you, of fentanyl and amphetamines in his system. All right. He had a long history of drug abuse. I believe he suffered from cardiomegaly, which is an enlarged heart. And we find that people that have this type of background have 150 times, not 150%, 150 times greater risk of sudden cardiac event than the normal person. Now, there was, even though they brought in another doctor, and by the way, that's the ME that was talking and he gave pretty good testimony. I listened to the prosecution's medical expert and although he was very articulate, he was more speculative than he was diagnostic because there was no evidence whatsoever of any trauma to the breathing apparatus. Uh, there was uh, the, the trachea, uh, the cricoid cartilage, the hyoid bones, all these little bones in your Adam's apple. There was uh, no fractures of those bones. There was no um, 
inflammation there. Uh, we saw no evidence of uh, bruising and contusing and hemorrhaging around the neck and the car carotid arteries of the jugular veins. There was no indication, uh, to, to my recollection, of what we call an anoxic death, which is someone that uh, has a, a lack of oxygenated blood going up into the brain. There was, uh, as I recall, no petechial hemorrhaging, which is blood vessels uh, breaking. Usually we look in the eye, uh, we can uh, look in the mouth, we, we can see, we can look around the orbit of the eye, uh, these little capillaries called petechiae. There was, there was no evidence of that whatsoever. What we had basically is a guy that was resisting arrest. There is no doubt about that. They didn't just take him to the ground. He asked to be taken to the ground, not the officer. The officers put him on the ground because that's what they're trained to do, but he asked to be taken to the ground. It wasn't like he was pulled out of the car and slammed on the ground. That didn't happen whatsoever. The next thing is, is that... And everybody knows this. I mean, you have carotid arteries and jugular veins bilaterally on either side of the breathing apparatus. And in order to uh, restrict oxygenated blood to the vein, like in a, a neck restraint or something like that, you have to put pressure bilaterally on the, the arteries that feed oxygenated blood to the brain. Officer Chauvin had his knee on... Michael, uh, I'm sorry, not Michael, but uh, George Floyd's neck, but he didn't have it on bilaterally, and he didn't have it on the neck the entire time, and and so when one side is compressed, the other side is still putting blood up there, and that's the side that's on the ground. So it wasn't like what we call a contra coup injury, where you have equal pressure on both sides. You just had pressure on one side, and it wasn't there all the time. A lot of the time. The knee was on his shoulder as he had been trained to do. So, and the doctor couldn't get around that. So I just thought the doctor was more speculative than he was diagnostic on the prosecution side. But juries don't tend to be very well informed. And sometimes the video, uh, which doesn't always tell the truth because it doesn't show everything that's happening, they look at the video and they become emotionally captured on the video rather than the forensic scientific medical evidence. Okay, uh, you explain it perfectly, uh, Dr. Ron, perfectly. And it, it tells us, again, back to the, well, it was the video, again, seen and heard around the world. And people, that's what they got out of that thing. And then evidence be damned, that was out the window. You want a desired outcome. Jury says, here it is. Uh, it's pretty clear. It was really and truly, though, let's be clear, everybody, it was a boneheaded move for the officer uh, to do to have that visual with the knee anywhere near the guy when he's gasping and asking to breathe. That was the stupid part about the whole thing, wasn't it, Dr. Ron? I mean, that was. Dumb. Yeah. And if you go back what they convicted him on. OK, so they convicted right. him on the second degree murder mm -hmm. and uh, two charges, second degree murder and then also third degree. Okay, so people have to remember, in order to, to make a case of, of second-degree murder, uh, you have to have a predicate felony, in this case, an assault, all right? So an assault is generally defined as, intention, as an intentional infliction of bodily harm. So what the prosecutors had to prove there is that Officer Chauvin intentionally applied unlawful 
force mm -hmm. that resulted in right. bodily harm. Okay, right. so they had to make the case that Officer Chauvin's use of force mm -hmm. was, was unlawful. Okay, it was excessive. And once they had that, then they could make both charges because second-degree murder does not require that the prosecution prove that Officer Chauvin had any intent to I kill see. Floyd. I so see. you can see the defense would say, yeah. hey, listen, he's using force, there's resistance, but he didn't have any intent to kill uh, George Floyd. So when you look at the second-degree murder, if they can, if the prosecution can prove the predicate assault, turn that into a felony, they've made that case before the jury. So then let's just break down the second thing, and that's the third-degree murder. So under Minnesota state law and other states, if the officer involved commits an act that is seen as being eminently dangerous to, to George Floyd, with, and it shows that it's so reckless uh, and so negligent and so egregious that it could be con it, it could be seen that he had no regard for George Floyd's life. Now, this is this part about the last three minutes, Malcolm, where George Floyd is clearly unresponsive, but the officer is still on on top of him. See, that's and what I'm talking about right there. That's it. Yeah. That's and then don't forget if you yeah. if you pay attention to the body cam, yeah. one of the officers that's there right. tells tells Chauvin, hey, I think we might have a case of excited delirium here. Let's let's get this guy up. Let's roll him over to on his side or let's get him right. into a seated position. And Chauvin ignores that. See. That's to me that's how it. they made that's to me how they made the yeah. the negligence and, and the consciousness of action. Yeah, yeah, D Dr. Ron, you explain it perfectly right there. One last quick question on this case and and it's this. Uh, Harvard law professor uh, Alan Dershowitz says this, we have to assume that the jury heard what Maxine Waters said, what Shopton said, what Crump said, what others said. I think jurors knew that if they came out with a verdict other than murder, the top charge, there would be violence on the streets. Uh, you agree with that? Yeah, you know, I'll say something about Dershowitz. Uh, Alan Dershowitz is one of this nation's uh, preeminent scholars on Fourth Amendment issues, laws of arrest and search and seizure. Uh, I don't always agree uh, with Professor Dertowitz, but I will tell you that I very much respect the way that he analyzes things, and I think he's right on the money there. Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. All right. We are talking to Dr. Ron Martinelli. Dr. Ron Martinelli here. Uh, again, as I, you just heard the breakdown, it hardly gets any better than that. As far as really wanting to understand this case and understand all the circumstances and how we got to the conclusion, we just covered a whole lot. I got to tell you what, the last 30 minutes. To, now you know what took place, what happened, where we're at, so on and so forth. Now, uh, we're going to talk next in just moments here with Dr. Ron uh, Martinelli again about this other major story the, uh, on the uh, Capitol Police Officer Sicknick here, Brian Sicknick. Uh, and this was the January 6th uh, Capitol riots that we talk about. 
there, there is a must-read uh, article on americaoutloud.com on this particular story uh, that you'll want to go read that is written from uh, Dr. Ron Martinelli. Uh, and it's the truth behind the U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick's death. And uh, it is it's a great read, and it'll give you the lowdown as to what really took place. This is another outrage for a whole lot of reasons. This one gets a little more political, a little more... Uh, uh, you know, well, the, the last one was as well, aren't they all, as I say, with a desired uh, outcome they're looking for. Uh, so again, do, so Dr. Ron, uh, his, um, his, his book again, uh, again, the, the uh, Black Lives, uh, the War on Cops, uh, that, that book about uh, the Black Lives Matter, uh, that he is a bestseller. It is in the America Out Loud bookstore. It is available on all bookstores except Amazon. Threw it off their platform and censored it after it was on there for a couple of years and had a, a tremendous sales. They decided to throw it off because it didn't fit their narrative. I just want to throw that little bullet point in there to get your uh, dander up out there. Okay. Uh, but this is what they're doing. You know, the oligarchs are trying to control uh, the environment of what we can see, read, hear, touch, feel, and be. Uh, which is totally wrong. And we're going to make that point every time we can. And since Dr. Ron Martinelli is here, his book was thrown out of Amazon for that reason and, and, and censored in the highest order. And there are so many others that's happening too, uh, where they think they're going to control the conversation in America. And we need to put a stop to it, people. And the only way to do that is to boycott these big companies and to uh, get on and to give our business to people who understand our, our uh, liberties, understand our freedom and our freedom of speech and uh, understand what it means to be an American. And that's what I got. That's the big point of all of this stuff. So, all right, we're going to take a pause here on the voice of a nation. And we'll come back and talk about this uh, Capitol Police Officer Sicknick with Dr. Ron Martinelli uh, and our uh, team nation and all. And we'll continue on here. And don't forget now, everything's back at americaoutloud.com, friends. That's where the conversation is. Uh, we'll take a pause. We'll see you just on the other side here. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. 
Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Welcome back to Voice of the Nation. And we're taking on these two big cases today now. Uh, we just told you, I mean, you've got a whole lot in that first segment. If you missed it, you'll need to do the rewind when it goes to podcast and listen uh, to the, uh, uh, the amazing uh, amazing conversation we just had with Dr. Ron Martinelli, who joins us again. One of the best forensic voices in our country, for sure. Um, he breaks it down so we understand it, uh, but understands all the uh, Uh, details of these kinds of cases here. This next one is the Capitol riots on January 6th. This was the the outburst heard around the world and those images, of course, which will be emblazoned in our minds and in our media. But the big problem with this case is this was always another one, a a fuse. I would look at this, Dr. Ron, as another fuse to go off. Uh, But there was a narrative again on this one, and I'll just rest my case real quickly here with you, but This was a prime case of what I started this program with today, which infuriates me. There was no blind justice here. This was a desired outcome that the Marxist left wanted, included that despicable Speaker of the House that we have in there. And this was all about elections. This was all about uh, uh, the this was all for a desired outcome that they were looking for uh, with this Brian Sicknick, uh, this officer. Uh, and it was accused that he was uh, shaken down and beat up and abused and fire extinguishers hit. And, you know, and he died because he was br- brutally ab- abused by MAGA folks. That was the message and the narrative that was thrown out there, uh, Dr. Ron. And it wasn't at all what happened. Yeah, well, essentially, there was a, a couple of different uh, narratives, both of them uh, incorrect, uh, deliberately false as to how uh, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick uh, died. Uh, He was definitely on duty. He was definitely uh, at the protests of the Capitol. We have uh, lots of uh, video evidence. You remember, don't forget, there's hundreds of cell phones. Uh, Every single inch of the Capitol area is under CCTV, uh, drones up in the air, uh, trying to gather intelligence, news drones, everything was going on. So the, the first thing that we hear about the so-called murder of the officer is that he was bludgeoned with a fire extinguisher. And they showed some pictures of a man proximate to the officer with a fire extinguisher. And so that was the the first uh, indication of cause of death that we got. Now, the, the first red flag that's risen as far as a guy like me, who's a, you know, a death investigator, a forensic expert, is let's get the results of the autopsy out and let's find what cause and manner of death is. Cause of death is different than manner of death, but many times they coincide. So if you have a narrative that he was murdered by a protester who bludgeoned him with a fire extinguisher, when we get the autopsy, uh, and even if we don't get the autopsy, we're going to have photographs of significant uh, traumatic injury to the face, to the head, to the neck area, uh, to the body. And guess what? That was not there. There was zero evidence of traumatic injury. So now the left that put that out there has got to quickly change and come up with an alternative cause of death. So story number two is that he, uh, 
Officer Sicknick uh, experienced a severe, sudden allergy uh, reaction to being sprayed in the face with bear spray. Well, bear spray is essentially pepper spray. Uh, it's made up of uh, cayenne and habanero peppers, uh, very much like the same type of OC, oleoresin capsicum, uh, which is the Latin genus of the cayenne pepper plant, and uh, that, that officers carry. Well, zero evidence of any particulates, waxes, oils, all of the things that make up OC and bear spray in the respiratory system, in the lungs, uh, nothing in the esophageal airway, no evidence of inflammation, uh, anything like that. So, oops, story number two down the drain. So, months later, don't forget, he, he died on January 6th. Months later, we find that the real cause of death was listed as acute brainstem and cerebral infarcts due to a, a basilar artery thrombosis. Boy, a lot of medical stuff out there. Let me just tell you what that means. A stroke. He suffered a stroke or a series of strokes. So now they're left flat-footed because strokes are not an indication of murder. So with all that said, why hasn't the Speaker of the House or some of the other political nimwits come out and apologize for what they said and did? Well, you're not going to see that because, as you said it in your introduction of uh, the, the Sicknick death case, is that this was all predetermined and the, the tragic death of the officer uh, is, is now exploited to fulfill the narrative that speaks directly to Donald J. Trump and uh, MAGA people, uh, as, as you, you know, refer, uh, coming uh, to protest at the Capitol building. Now, let me be very clear here, and, and, and thank you for, for mentioning uh, the forensic article that we've put up on uh, America Out Loud uh, website. And, and that is, listen, I'm not saying that what the protesters did in uh, ignoring repeated orders to move away from the area, resisting police officers, shoving, pushing. Uh, there was violence against police officers. I'm not saying for one second that the stress and the strain of Officer Sisnick being there on the front line very bravely with his colleague officers was not contributory to death. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the elements, the forensic the legal elements of murder that that protesters killed the officer are patently false. Hmm. Wow. I mean, as as we find out now, I mean, this is this is what happens. And it's well uh, after the fact. But he, the damage has been done, uh, Dr. Ron. The damage is done. <laughs> right. You know, Malcolm, look at the similarities. When we're talking about issues of contribution right. and crimes of right. murder, look look at the similarities in the George Floyd case, which had issues of contribution, and look at the at the Sicknick case, which have issues of contribution. But it but in my estimation, in neither case was a person murdered by the other. George Floyd, I do not believe, was murdered uh, by Officer Chauvin and Officer. Sicknick was not murdered by protesters.
Yeah, I mean, there it is right out there. But again, this is really the big, the, the real lasting point of all of this, Dr. Ron, should be that we're, we're getting bad information. The media is out of control. And, they, and no one really talks about this stuff in the way that I do. Uh, but I think that's the big story of all of these stories is that because they have played to the narrative, they have been lock in step with the Marxist left. That is really the criminal part of this whole deal, Dr. Ron, to me, is the fact that Americans are not getting real information. They're not getting, you know, that justice again. We're not getting it. They have, it's a loaded deck. And I think, and this really troubles me a great deal, Dr. Ron, because it, if we don't get this right, if we can't make this point, if we can't get this out there so that people across our country see what's really going on here, I think we're doomed, Dr. Ron. I think we're doomed as a nation, and I think we're going at that point down very quickly because these narratives are killing us. You know, Malcolm, as I said in the article, I think that this this thing that happened at the Capitol, uh, and, is, and specifically with the tragic death of Officer uh, Sicknick, is was part of the greater plan that continues with the progressive left and the, what I refer to as neo-national socialists. And that is, if you remember when the news accounts first surfaced, it was five people killed. That's right. Five people killed That's right. during the, the Capitol protest. Five. And in reality, nobody was killed. We had people die, three of the people, the officer and uh, three other protesters uh, died as a result of natural causes. So don't forget the real medical examiner's report for the officer was not homicide, death of one person at the hands of another, okay? And it wasn't accidental, it was natural causes. The stroke is a natural cause of death that any physician will tell you 70% of the people that die from strokes have, uh, have severe problems with hypertension and they, other have, they have other comorbidities. So they could have diabetes, they could have uh, cardiovascular disease, things like that. So, and by the way, these things take time. They don't happen overnight. So when you do the pathology and you do a medical history uh, after death, these are the, the, the probative questions that you have to answer. But let me get back to my theme here. And that is, why did they put his body in the rotunda and why did they make such a huge deal over it? And they still continue today to forward the, uh, the theme of murder. And that's because they wanted to get that wall built around the Capitol building. They wanted to be protected by thousands of armed troops to give President Biden and the congressional far-left legislature the, uh, the, the opportunity to pass over 40 sweeping executive orders, legislation and executive orders, and the uh, Green New Deal and all of this stuff to forward a leftist agenda. This was all by design, Malcolm. This was, this was not happenstance or coincidental. Right. No, no, it's, uh, that's the whole theme of this whole thing that's coming out here is it is by design, it is the desired outcome. And again, 
Dr. Ron, we got to wake people up. We have got to wake people up to what's going on. And uh, to me, uh, uh, the way we've connected both of these stories today, I think is brilliant. And I think it tells a story here as well. I want to bring in here, Dr. Ron, stay right there a moment because I want you to opine back in just a second here. But one of our uh, uh, astute uh, uh, professionals on our team nation here, Dr. Lee for America, she has a, a point of this as well, this particular case, which we'll be talking about a little bit later in the program, uh, but uh, that you, you wanna make, uh, Dr. Lee, that uh, place to this potential death of, of sickness. Go ahead. Yes, thanks, Malcolm. And I very much appreciated Dr. Ron's article on your website. I thought that was outstanding, medically as well as forensically well stated. What I wanted to add to this is that Medically, we know that extreme stress and adrenaline surges, the fight or flight response, adds to a hypercoagulable state, increasing the risk of blood clots in someone who has underlying vulnerabilities. So I would, would support the point about stress playing a huge role and being on hyper alert in that situation. But there's another factor which the press has grossly ignored and covered up. And that is the risk that all of the COVID vaccines currently available that are still experimental have a very high risk of causing both arterial and venous blood clots. In fact, mm. Pfizer's and Moderna's vaccines are based on data from Oxford in England, are about 30 to 40 times greater risk of blood clot problems, arterial and venous, than Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. And the government just decided to pause J&J &J because of a rare blood clotting problem. I have read articles that the family for officer cis Sicknick stated that he had received one of the COVID vaccines prior to January 6th, which makes sense. He was a first responder and they were beginning to vaccinate those individuals in December. Mm -hmm. So I'm aware that that was taking place. If that was also the case, as a 42-year-old male who was looked fit in his pictures, was not obese, didn't have the age or body type suggesting other comorbidities, then it raises the question in my mind medically whether the vaccine that he had received played a huge role in creating this risk of this massive and fairly unusual blood clot type stroke in a 42-year-old male. Mm. And I think that's something that needs to be discussed and the media is covering up the serious blood clot risk with these vaccines. Yeah, boy, that it, it, that puts a real interesting angle on this whole thing uh, to me. And, you know, Dr. Ron, let me, uh, I'd like your opinion on what Dr. Lee puts out there because it is interesting in the way that she's pointing out, hey, there, that could absolutely be a contributing factor here. And, you know, and it's it's interesting to point it out because we may never know, but I think it does give at least it gives me pause to think, wow, could that have been a contributing that could that have been a factor here, a big factor in it? What do you think? Yeah, and, and first of all, thank you, Doctor Lee. It's always it's always nice for a PhD 
who's not board certified to, to get validated by a, by a real doctor. Okay, so thanks so much on that. But, you know, and I think Dr. Lee will agree with me, Malcolm, and to your point, here's, uh, here's what occurs when we are doing a pathology. We have to get a medical history proximate to death, and that's what Dr. Lee is talking about. You know, some of the probative questions that death investigators such as myself uh, would be asking uh, the wife, the family member, is, you know, was he vaccinated uh, for COVID-19 and, and, and what type of vaccine did he take? The other thing is, you know, what is his lifestyle like? Does he drink? Does he smoke? Did he have any comorbidities? Uh, were there any symptoms that would indicate a vascular problem? Because he that's what happened. He, he died from a stroke. Uh, you know, usually we will see some symptoms of gait ataxia, in other words, a, a lack of balance and coordination, uh, some stuttering. Uh, we might have some uh, visual problems, peripheral visual problems, because there's pressures, you know, placed on, on the eyes, you know, things like that. Did he experience anything like that before the riots or on the day of the riots? Because, as we all know, those officers that were out there in the U.S. Capitol were on high alert, as Dr. Lee correctly points out, for a prolonged period of time. Did, did, he, did he have any, did he complain of sleep deprivation? Things like that. And unless they were completely incompetent in developing that medical history proximate to death, they should have known after after doing the autopsy, a, a toxicology to see whatever uh, drugs uh, were on board at the time, you know, blood thinners, blood pressure medications, psychotropics, things like that, they should have known within just within two to three weeks afterwards what was the real cause of death of this officer. Yet we hear nothing of this until four months later. And the reason is. Well, the reason is, is because they wanted to exploit, unfortunately, the tragic death of this very brave officer so they could move forward with their leftist political agenda, keep that wall around the Capitol, keep those guards protecting them from any future protests by the American people, uh, you know, to, to stop them from doing what they're doing. And I think they've been highly successful as that. If you ask somebody next week, how did Officer Sicknick died? They're going to tell you he was murdered by Trump supporters. And that's exactly the narrative that's they want to keep that's going it. all the way to the 2022 elections. That's it. Yeah. And, and there it is right there. That, that's the whole linchpin of this whole thing, what Dr. Ron Martinelli puts out right there, that I need you to pay attention to people. And he's right. All the way to the next election. In other words, they got what they wanted. They got the end result. They got the narrative. They've already beat the drum. And so when Nancy Pelosi comes out and says what she says, and Senator Cory Booker it did as well about the death and Trump supporters and Trump, you know, and I was pretty sick over that whole thing. It was grotesque what was being said and done. I mean, it was not comfortable as, as a as a patriot to see what they were saying, what the media was saying and these Marxist politicians. And yet the family, I mean, Sicknick's own family came out to said, hey, listen, you know, chill. We just want the truth. 
you know, they were interested in playing politics with with the life uh, uh, of their cherished relative. They, they weren't interested at all. But yet that's exactly what took place here, people. So listen, we're going to pause right here on the voice of a nation. Uh, again, big thank you, Dr. Ron Martinelli. The book is in the America Out Loud bookstore and the article is on AmericaOutloud.com. We'll see you just on the other side of the pause. Heart and soul of a nation beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor, 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 our soul. soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Well, as we talk about in hour one there of the program, uh, the, the big case, of course, of Derek Chauvin and what has taken place with that verdict there. Uh, and then this uh, Capitol Police officer, Sicknick, Brian Sicknick, uh, which the left used again. You know, I mentioned at the end of the program there when Dr. Ron Martinelli was on, who was tremendous, by the way, he did a remarkable job in explaining this. Now you see what I mean when I say one of the best and truly is one of the best voices nationally we have in in this arena Um, and so, so well respected uh, and and he puts it out there in ways we can understand it, but also breaks it down politically astute as well. And I appreciate that so much. There's uh, the, the big concern I mentioned at the end there is uh, the, the fallout from all of this now. The media, you nobody ever goes back and apologizes. They don't ever, you know, you know you, that never happens. You know that. But none of the political operatives, ah, I messed up here. Let me tell you, I shouldn't have done that. Or I shouldn't have insulted all of the Trump MAGA folks. <laughs> I shouldn't have, you know, whatever, on and on and on. Uh, and, you know, they accused Trump of inciting that riot, which we know what really happened peacefully and patriotically. Of course, when you mix in Antifa and Black Lives Matter people, nothing's going to be peaceful or patriotic. Let's be very clear. Uh, there's nothing peaceful or patriotic about these groups. What's it? They're Marxist groups. So what, what the hell is going to be patriotic or peaceful about that? Nothing. So let's be clear, but the left uses their own people and their power to put a narrative out there. But then again, what do I tell you all the time? Well, it's that supposed fourth estate. It's a joke of the media. And we got to start to call this out, people, for what it is. Because if we don't start a ripple right here, right now, right this moment today, and push that narrative out there, these are not, this is not John F. Kennedy's party anymore. This is not the Democrat party. The, you know, your lovable aunt from the other side of the aisle you used to have a conversation with at the dinner table or on some holiday. This is now a Marxist takeover. I mean, it's put right out there in, in, in daylight. You, you don't have to make this stuff up. You don't have to use lies and fib. You just have to look at the truth, the, the, the almighty God's almighty truth here and the out loud truth and put it out there. And the, these are not the, it's not the Democrat Party. It is a Marxist movement that has hijacked uh, the entire political narratives. They want what did I start with with Dr. Ron Martinelli? They want a desired outcome, people. So what they do is they create the outcome, right? They put the desired outcome out there. 
And then everything plays to that narrative. And here's what really gets me. And then they're all lock in step. It's just like, like I said, some some foreign country army where you see them in China or uh, Venezuela or Cuba and they're marching down the road, lock in step. That's what I get right here in our country. We have a takeover happening here, people. It is a Marxist takeover on so many levels of our country. And there are many of our adversaries around the world are, are simply playing to this. And we'll talk about this in the days ahead. China, Russia, uh, Middle East, Iran, North Korea. You know, many of our adversaries, they play to this stuff. I mean, these people are not stupid. They sit back there and they know what's going on in America. And, and as we know, the, the danger to America is America itself. These are all self-inflicted wounds. And unless we cut the cancer out and we remove the cancer, the Marxist cancer from our dialogue and, and from our system of politics and, and life here, we're going to continue to have these challenges. But more than have these challenges, they're going to be magnified. And they're going to be magnified to a degree that you're going to wish you had done something about it sooner, faster, quicker. Now, I say that as well as I can possibly put it out there. It is time that we've got to stop the left from co-opting what we call basically the out loud truth or the English language. How's that? They've got to be stopped in their tracks and they have to be called out because they're, they're the first and they're brilliant marketers. I already told you that. They, they, they know how to put the package and polish on everything. They're, the, the right doesn't, they don't have that talent the left has. And they always say to me, well, they're trying to take the high road or be honorable. Well, if that's what it is, people, we're going to lose. And if that's what it is, I mean, uh, you know, you have to fight fire with fire. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say to you. I mean, what are we going to say? Yes, ma'am. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. Be very polite. Take the high road while they're kicking us in the backside. I mean, you know, we gotta, we're going to have to make this thing work. And uh, so I, I, my message is exactly that. And we, we've got to get ourselves lock in step is what we need to do to make this happen. So so that, let's start there now and taking a look at, uh, first of all, the Derek Chauvin and the, the, the case of what I had said earlier about the uh, wanting a desired outcome. Uh, we, we've got uh, Team Nation is here and Kathy Chamberlain, let's get you to chime in here about the Derek Chauvin case. And you heard Dr. Ron Martinelli right up front. Now, what I said and I set the tone for Kathy was the desired outcome they were looking for. They wanted a desired outcome. They put it out there. They blew the megaphone horn. And then the jury was, well, they had to do what they had to do or they would have had their houses torched and burnt down and would have been putting their lives in danger, wouldn't they have? Absolutely. And, you know, as an educator of Saul Alinsky tactics, uh, his first tactic is power uh, isn't only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. So this is all a driven narrative and, and it's uh, been going on for many years. Let's, let's not forget where this kind of all um, emanated from back in 2014 uh, with the um, with the Michael Brown uh, shooting uh, of of that gentleman who uh, the the whole phrase hands up don't shoot I mean the left is fantastic at creating these narratives and and at that time Attorney General Eric Holder uh, went after the police department in Ferguson if you recall. Uh, and they also then expanded that out to police departments all around the country. And I did a bit of research about it to see 
which police departments actually benefited from the programs that the Obama administration put in place. And do you know, Minneapolis was one of them. So there you go. But um, the interesting outcome of that is a report, of course, that was generated called the After Action Assessment of the Police Response to the August 2014 demonstrations in Ferguson, Missouri. And what came out of that? Well, after all the narrative, after everything that came out um, of that uh, entire rioting, and that's really where BLM kind of sprang into action uh, after the Trayvon Martin case, but uh, Attorney General at that time, Eric Holder, eventually came out and said they weren't even gonna charge the police officer in the shooting death of Michael Brown. And, but they, he also though still went after the city police department and why? Because they do have uh, a, an end goal based on Cloward Piven strategies of overwhelming our systems. Everything needs to be very expensive to cure. <laughs> so it costs our taxpayer money an incredible amount. And and in this uh, uh, entire Chauvin thing, as well as, well, of course, the Capitol on the, uh, um, incident uh, with Sicknick, they are, the narrative is to turn patriots in the American eyes uh, into the, act, the real terrorists instead of Antifa and BLM. And the end goal there is to take our guns away while defunding the police. What a nightmare. <laughs> it surely puts it out there, man. I mean, you, you, you put it out there perfectly. What a nightmare. You know, when Dr. Ron was talking about, Ferguson was the spark that lit that whole thing. You, you mentioned Eric Holder and that whole group. And, you know, that was the spark. And it really was that, I was thinking about that when Dr. Ron Martinelli was talking about it, the hands up, don't shoot. And we've had plenty of top law enforcement officials on over the years to talk about that false narrative and how offensive that was to the entire profession of law enforcement. And yet the Marxist left, they not only embraced it, guys, but they they made it their rallying call uh, that our police are out of control and they're hunting down young black men. And of course, the numbers show differently. The data shows differently. That is not at all what happens. And in fact, it's always pointed out the black on black crime is the biggest problem the black community is having. Well, that and abortions, uh, killing the young black people um, would be another problem. And, and uh, you know, maybe that doesn't sound nice to you, but it is a fact. I mean, and, and, and a black, great black conservative Americans know what I'm talking about. But people like Dr. Carol Swain, uh, Pastor Stefan Broden, uh, Ron Edwards, many other great black conservative voices, they know what I'm talking about here. But that whole hands up, don't shoot Ferguson, that was the launch that put this whole thing out there. It was the, 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 the was, well, he also mentioned Los Angeles with Rodney King. You see, there, there's these little, uh, these milestones within their game plan, as Kathy says there, to defund it all, to make us vulnerable, fight with each other, tear our you know, heads apart. And they're succeeding at this. And the left is succeeding at all of this. I think, Dr. Lee, I think that's what makes people like us, uh, patriots, uh, conservatives, uh, uncomfortable, because we're, we see the writing on the wall, Dr. Lee, that we see the writing on the wall, and it, it, and it doesn't spell right. It doesn't look right. It feels wrong. 
Uh, and I think that's why people are really, really unsettled. There's a nervousness out there that we're losing our grip in our nation. Speak to that, please. Well, uh, we are, and it has been growing exponentially since the 60s, since the Democrat rioters took over in 1968 at the Democrat National Convention. And some of the same people that led that riot, Van Jones and Bill Ayers and Bernadette Dorn, are, are still behind the scenes as puppet masters pulling the strings with the Black Lives Matter and the uh, Antifa and all of these radical leftist groups that are destabilizing and, and engaging in anarchy in our cities. We, one of my biggest concerns is that we on the right and conservatives, those who hold constitutional Christian conservative values right. are too polite. We are too nice. <laughs> we don't call out the co-opting of our language, for example, calling them progressives is a nice term the Democrats came up with years ago to hide their true Marxist radical agenda. When people began figuring out that liberal meant anti-US constitution, they stopped using that term. They shifted to progressive. Progressive is polite and it sounds positive. It's politically correct. And it's disgusting for us to keep using that adjective to describe the leftist who are determined to destroy us. And quite frankly, I, I would say even more strongly, disarming Americans and defunding the police is a recipe for anarchy and totalitarian takeover, much like Stalin did in the Soviet Union and much like Mao did and murdered 30 million Chinese. We cannot let that happen and we cannot keep being so nice and giving in to the narratives of the left by using their language. We end up perpetuating their message and we are not creating new messaging. That's what really is so frightening is how many intelligent people give in and use their own language. Yeah, they do. A lot of the political operatives do from both sides of the aisle. You're right. You know, that's why I always, and I, even through all of the Trump years and through the Obama years, uh, you, you're so right when you say we have to call them out for who they are. And I would always call them out, Dr. Lee, and call them the Marxist left. In fact, I stopped the whole Democrat word. I don't even use it by its singular self. It is the uh, socialist Marxist Democrat left, uh, and really communism is what they're after, really is communism, uh, to, as you say, totalitarian takeover of our nation. And you know, it, it's so far out there. Here's the problem we're having, Dr. Lee. It's so far out there, this narrative, that mom and dad at home are having trouble believing it. They sort of think that uh, we're making, it sounds very conspiratorial in nature and like we're really just making stuff up. And, and, that, and the, re the root cause of all that is the media. So yeah, it's calling the left out, but it's also calling the media out. And that's where the problem is, where the rubber meets the road for me. 
and why it's important the work we're doing here on our network, Dr. Lee, at America Out Loud, because we, we've got to be the new voice for, for patriotism, for our constitution, for conservative values, for a country that has, you know, that where we can celebrate another 250 years, uh, hopefully. But the way we're headed right now, if we don't fix these couple of points here about the English language, as you mentioned, and then the media, those are the big, those are the, 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 the two big, um, to me, Ella, you know, I was going to say, Dr. Lee, I was going to say that it's funny how my mind works. I would say, well, those are the two big elephants in the room, but they're not the two big elephants in the room. They're the two big jackasses in the room. Uh, that's well, the, do that's the donkey true. symbol. Am I right or wrong? Talk to me. I think, I think that's true. But also let, let me just say that we can't by ourselves fix the media because the only six companies control all of the media outlets in the entire United States. We have got to stop waiting for other people to fix a problem and step up to the plate and do it ourselves. Change your language. Stop calling it the Democratic Party, which is what they want us to use, because democratic implies Oh, this collaboration, yeah, yeah, yeah. democracy, and they don't want us to use the noun Democrat because they are not democratic. They are autocratic. And as you've already said, they march lockstep with following a message of destruction. So we've got to each one of us take charge of the way we describe it. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat or an independent. I am a Christian constitutional conservative. And we need to start defining ourselves by the values on which this country was based and stop using the language that the left and the media are using to undermine our core values. Another example, this whole infrastructure bill, mm -hmm. they keep, the left and the, the Democrats and the radicals call it investment and they are co-opting a capitalism term for a cloward piven strategy of collapsing the economy by depleting taxpayer dollars and bleeding the country dry mm. so we've got to stop using those terms this is taxpayer boondoggle as you called it yesterday political trickery mm -hmm. that's exactly right it's not an investment in our infrastructure. It's not private companies investing capital to improve the situation and have a return on investment. There's no return on depletion of the treasury and creating sky high inflation and interest rates through the roof. Yeah, I couldn't agree with Dr. Lee Moore. Uh, however, I will say that I think there is good news on the horizon that, uh, that we, a vacuum right now is being created by fake news media. People are waking up to that, and it is going to uh, fall to uh, independent uh, media sources like ours uh, to speak out and to correct that every chance we can. For example, last night I just did a speech um, and uh, told the crowd, we've got to get rid of, remember the Bushes, kinder, gentler, more compassionate. Yep. That absolutely drove me crazy when they said it. And <laughs> I use it all the time as um, an example of how uh, we don't need to be. And I even wrote in my book, uh, Rules for Deplorables, 
about John McCain being at a town hall back when he was campaigning with uh, uh, against uh, Obama. And in the town hall, a woman asked McCain whether or not Obama was an uh, Arab sympathizer. Okay. Uh, McCain immediately answered, oh, no, we can't talk like that. Well, you know, the truth is, as I say in my book, he didn't know why even say anything um, rather than give uh, cover to the left to these Marxists, because I agree, that's what they are. And going back to guns, I want to say one other thing, too, because nobody's really brought up Venezuela. But in my second chapter called Viva la Revolución, here's the scariest thing that our audience really needs to be aware of, because in my speeches, I I ask uh, um, every group, how many here have said they're not getting my guns over my cold, dead fingers, right? Everybody has kind of said that in their lifetimes. And yet, when I did the research on my book regarding how Venezuelans gave their guns up because, you know, they went from one of the richest countries in Latin America to now the poorest, and it didn't take all that long for it to happen. Um, And the way their guns were taken away, first, of course, the Supreme Court was packed exactly what the uh, socialists in our country in uh, Congress are planning now. But after they packed the Supreme Court, they just added like 11 leftists onto their Supreme Court. And then, of course, the changing of the laws was very simple. They didn't even have to change the titles to nice sounding laws. But the guns then um, first they gave the public a chance to sell their guns back to the government. And of course, the useful idiots did just that. But then after that, um, the guns were confiscated. And the way they did it was so simple. They just raided a person's house in the dead of night, just like they did Roger Stone with the SWAT teams, arrested the person, took him into jail, and then said to the wife, hey, he's facing 20 years hard labor. You want him back? And I get with my audience now. I don't really need to hear from certain wives. <laughs> They might say to that, but uh, all kidding aside, who's not going to give their guns up with that kind of threat over their head? That's right. So Venezuela is a prime example. And uh, let me chime in on that point here. And the reason it's a prime example, I was talking the other day with uh, uh, Debbie D'Souza, Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh was on Viewpoint this Sunday and talking with Debbie, uh, Dinesh's wife as well. She was born in Venezuela, by the way. That's why I even bring it up. And she's seen firsthand uh, prior to moving to our nation and becoming an American uh, as a child. Um, she knew what had happened there all the way back to Chavez and then Maduro and what had taken place. And as Kathy had pointed out, they went from, again, the most uh, successful uh, country in that region to certainly one of the most hostile environments now ever. Now, there's a couple of ways they did that. Uh, the guns were one thing. Packing the Supreme Court was absolutely uh, the that, see these these were the signs. So if you want any evidence as to what they're up to, you see, we talked uh, the other day about uh, Biden putting in this commission to study packing the Supreme Court. And then you see the Democrat operatives come out and they go ahead and grab the narrative and try to put a, uh, a bill in place to get the job done sooner, faster, quicker, not even wait to a commission. And no, we don't need a commission to study the Supreme Court. 
That's baloney rubbish. It does not need to happen. But that's that's what they do is they put all that out there as a, as just some red meat to get everybody going. And then when you know the narrative furthers on a little bit longer, they say, well, maybe we won't do that, but we'll do this instead. And then they they do this instead. Is what the, you see what I'm saying? It's all it's all that bait and switch kind of thing is what they're doing here. And, and so I, I point that out to you so that you're aware there that this is what's happening in the media. And, you know, they're talking about packing the Supreme Court. Well, you know, uh, you know, this is where Venezuela lost it all. And then they confiscated the guns and then they destroyed the economy. And what Dr. Lee said a moment ago about the economy, people I've been talking about this are debt for 10, 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, it's about as reckless as can be. Again, Obama doubled the debt in his term based on the previous couple of hundred plus years than every president in history. But let me be clear, it was W, Bush before then, who was reckless with the bailouts, the auto bailouts, uh, taking on the debt. In other words, he set the farm up perfectly well. He made everything in place, George W. did, uh, so that uh, you would have a reckless Marxist come in like Barack Obama. You remember we were having that troubles with the Great Recession and all that had taken place. Now, that all happened on W's watch. Uh, The Republicans were there for that. Just to remind you, I, I call it as I see it, but that's what happened. And then, you know, you say, well, how would you get a Marxist as a president? Well, I mean, we got a Marxist Muslim as a president. And, and, and you know, because the, 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 the table was set that way, people, I mean, wake up. And, and so now you see the history of where there's, I mean, and quite frankly, we've had some pretty crappy leadership in Washington, D.C. for a long time. You have to go back. I call it the bookends of destruction. And if you go back and you know, you, you take a look at uh, Ronald Reagan at back there, number 40, and then you take a look at Donald Trump, uh, 45, those are the bookends. But between those two bookends, total destruction, Bush number one, Clinton, Bush number two. I mean, this is destruction after destruction. After, and then Obama, there, were, there was the catapult right off the edge, right off the edge of the cliff, uh, Barack Obama. And that was the worst. I mean, he made Jimmy Carter look good. And that takes some doing, people, let me tell you, because he was a horrible president. And, and I'm just speaking as, again, a, a patriot, as a, as a conservative who loves our country. I don't care about Democrats and Republicans. They don't float my boat. It doesn't excite me, people. I, I care about our nation, our country, our salvation, our constitution. I you know, as I say to you all the time, we stand for the flag here. We get goosebumps when we hear the anthem. That's who we are. But that's the magic of America. But right now we've got this takeover happening in full daylight and people are in denial. And and we've got to wake them up. I mean, and that's that's my message here, you know, with all of this being said. So, you know, we talk about all these stories and all that's happening and you know, they are absolutely on to the game here with pack, trying to pack the courts. He, he, he's going to now you see all this rash of shootings that's been happening in the last couple. We've had more shootings under Biden's watch. I mean, now people, are, you know, you have to start to question what's the narrative here, Malcolm? What the hell are they doing? What's going on? Yeah, well, I get the narrative, you know, and I, 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 I tell you, I understand all that, people. But, you know, there's a bigger point to all of this. And uh, therefore, you know, I, I'm going to say to you that uh, we, we need to become united. We need to become united and we need to be able to take this Marxist left down is what we need to do. And, and having said all that, I'm in the fight here to win it here for our country, people. That's what needs to happen. So 
Uh, that article I mentioned about Dr. Ron Martinelli, go read that article, please, and get it out there. It is absolutely outstanding on every level. He explains it all, point in case. Uh, it's right there on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. It's entitled, The Truth Behind U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick's Death. And you'll see it right there. And please get that out to America so they're aware of what has happened as well. There's another very interesting one, which is uh, I want to point out to you, which is by Michael McCarthy, a great new writer of ours, has his finger on the pulse of a lot of these issues. It's entitled The Verdict by Jury versus a verdict by community organizers. And I like what Michael does in this piece because he calls it right out, calls them all right out. And yet he says at the end exactly how he would have handled the case. And he's very honest about it and what verdict he would have come up with. I'm going to let you read it to figure that out. And we're going to have Michael McCarthy on in the next week or two on uh, The Voice of a Nation. It's a new voice here, a new writer on uh, America Out Loud. Thrilled to have him. And that's, of course, what I love about the voice of a nation. We're sort of the intersection of all these great conversations and narratives and experts around the globe and our own team nation and, and many of our experts on America Out Loud. So listen, we're on the march here uh, to get to set the record straight, to get the out loud truth out there. And we need your help to make it happen. We'll see you just on the other side here, my friends. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Now, never before in our history have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up? for what is right and to show our support. That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called shoptotheright.com. It's a new shopping platform that will help you find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together. And we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. ShopToTheRight.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement and veterans. incredible years and we're just getting started well they say time flies when you're having fun well it also flies by when you're on a mission of love love of country that is well our goal is to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity you can listen in on our free apps on apple android or alexa AmericaOutloud.com. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. 
liberty at americaoutloud.com. Well, we join you back here. It is an honor to now to be with you two hours every day, my fellow Americans. We are here from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern time now, but you can catch us with your time zone anywhere in our great nation from sea to shine and sea. And we're going to make those seas shine again, by the way. And you can catch us anywhere in the world as well on America Out Loud Talk Radio, for sure. We have a whole host of new writers, new shows. Oh, my golly, the weekends are on fire. Got to listen into those weekend programming. It is remarkable. Uh, You'll be so informed and enjoy the day. So whatever you do, if you're out doing yard work, take the phone out with you. Turn it on, turn the volume up, and let freedom ring. Let freedom ring, my fellow Americans, right here at America Out Loud Talk Radio. Uh, So we're talking about the Marxist left today. Uh, That's what's happening here. We're also talking about these cases here, the Chauvin case and uh, Sicknick's case, and uh, which is really interesting how both of those came to a head at this very moment of time and how you can connect the dots and see again about the false narrative. Now, let me throw this out. Let's be constructive right now. And what I want to throw out to... um, our, our distinguished uh, colleagues here, uh, Kathy Chamberlain and Dr. Lee for America here, um, which are on the call today with us in Team Nation, uh, is uh, what I want to throw out here is, all right, so we know what the media is doing. We know what we're trying to do here. Now, you know, our voices, we think about, okay, how much louder can we get when we talk about the phrase out loud and what that really means and always, I mean, Listen, I'm, Dr. Lee says, well, I mean, it's not about trying to, you know, soft shoe everything and be overly polite to call it whatever you want. It's not even about that. I mean, high road, low road, whatever. It's a it's going to be a road to uh, our disparity and a, a road to uh, an America we don't want to see if we don't start getting in their face and kind of doing what they do to us. Dr. Lee, this is tricky. I want you to talk a moment about this. This this is not an easy quandary I'm throwing at you here. How do we pull that off without coming across and appearing completely ugly, unhinged, because you know they're going to call us out, but and and get in their face and say back uh, the truth and undo the injustices that they are putting on to the American people? Well, honestly, Malcolm, I don't think it matters how we say our message, because no matter how we say it, we're going to be labeled unhinged, conspiracy theorists, racist, whatever terms, because as Kathy has talked about, and and I've talked about, that is the Saul Alinsky method. That's the method they've been using since the 60s. So we have to learn to stand up to that and not allow ourselves to be manipulated by guilt and fear of what they're going to think or say. That is to me, the fundamental problem. And one of the things when I'm seeing patients, for example, I I tell them very clearly, my recommendations for you are not based on political issues. They're not based upon what the insurance company says. They are based upon my best evaluation of what your medical history, your health goals that you've communicated to me 
and your laboratory data and imaging studies show would be helpful to you. And then it becomes your choice. So I would say to people that, and I see this all the time with friends and others saying things like, well, I'm worried about what somebody's going to say if I speak up. Well, quite frankly, if we don't speak up, we're going to lose our country. And then you're going to be afraid for your life. And you're going to be afraid for whether you can get food for your family or whether you can get medical care. And I think we've just lived through a whole year of government control of medical care. And how well did that work out for the American people? If you think Medicare for all is a good idea and putting the federal government in charge of your medical care, all you've got to look at is what happened under COVID with the governors deciding what medicines you can have and what doctors are allowed to practice, whether or not they follow mask rules or not. This should be a chilling wake up call to every American you jolly well better be running away from government control of healthcare if you value your life. That is a big, big point you just mentioned about uh, the way they were controlling our uh, our medical bad medical advice. They were giving the country number one, and you know when you th- when I think of government control, Doctor Lee, and we think about it in those terms. I also think about the way they've uh, butchered, mishandled, destroyed the VA, the Veterans Administration, when you talk about bad government health care. I mean, if that's a classic case or an example of what they can do well or what they can do bad, boy, I golly, I think as, as a teacher, uh, I would grade them. I would certainly give them an F. I would fail them in all of their exercises to control our health care. Based on all of those examples, I think I'd give them an F. But yet there's a narrative out there that somehow people think the government can do it better, don't they? Well, I think we can all look at the fact that anything the government decides to control about our lives and micromanage our lives is generally run fairly poorly and also constrains our freedom. Just simply look at the post office, the Division of Motor Vehicles, the Veterans Administration hospitals, where people, they had secret waiting lists so that administrators could earn bonuses. And look at the Indian Health Service, where the doctors treating the patients were absolutely categorically denied using the medicines that could have saved lives of Native Americans. And that also was very chilling. And we see the Same thing happening with big hospital systems that dictate what employed physicians can use in their practices or not use. We see the insurance companies and and big research institutes closing down treatment options that work that people would like to try. Look at what's happening in the schools. We are masking young children in spite of the fact that the data shows that building up carbon dioxide causes neurologic damage over time. These, what is happening under the government control at the local, state, and federal level over this past year should galvanize every American to get back to our roots and get really loud on the importance of individual freedom. 
Yeah, th this has been a prime thing. The, the entire medical fiasco that we've experienced through COVID with all these mandates and destruction of our liberties and what's taken place. And by the way, to Dr. Lee's point here, back to expertise on our platform here. I want to, while I'm thinking of it, let me just share with you. I, and I'm going to be doing this along the way here, but there's a program I you need to jot, take a pencil paper out, jot it down right now. On the weekends, on Saturday and the Sunday, you absolutely must and you will want to do this for you and your family tune in at two o'clock or seven o'clock e either day saturday or sunday two this is eastern time now 2 p.m eastern time or 7 p.m so you've got plenty of opportunities and listen to the mccullough report Dr. Peter McCullough. This is an MD who testifies at the Senate all the time, working with our senators, uh, trying to bring a sense of truth and testified so many times on the Hill. Uh, and, and he's a go-to source for what's really happened within COVID and the truth. And one of the many doctors that uh, is uh, on the front lines. So these are people on the front lines, independent physicians, more or less. A lot of these like Dr. Leah's as an MD. And it's such an honor to have her here in her voice. And again, when you talk about having someone like a Dr. Ron Martinelli up front, and you hear the exchange of her in the first hour, if you missed that, with Dr. Lee for America, Dr. Ron, and he, he he's so terrific. He called her right out to say, thanks, Doc, for telling a PhD, because he, he he really means that. He was saying, if you, if you were here for the end of the first hour, you'll know what I mean. He was really saying he's so appreciated here and the way she had uh, uh, put that piece of information out there that was so viable to that case, the, the Brian Sicknick's case that we were talking about at the moment. Oh, but and again, Malcolm, just to reiterate what you said about Dr. McCullough and the McCullough report, your listeners need to really understand, our, all of our listeners need to understand, Dr. McCullough is a world leader Amen. in the early treatment at home for COVID-19 and for vaccine complications, yeah. which we are treating also along some of these same lines. And we'll talk more about that another time. But my point is Dr. McCullough took the initiative and courageously went against the restrictions of his own institution to stand up for patients' lives, to speak out and to present the medical truth that there was treatment available for COVID. It did work. And he pulled together last March and April, he pulled together an international coalition of physicians and scientists and researchers and epidemiologists from Italy, the United States and other countries, in particular Brazil. And he was the first to publish a peer-reviewed medical article that outlined the stages of the COVID illness and the treatment yeah. approaches. And he also was our consulting editor for the COVID Patient Guide, which is a free e-booklet to help every listener be proactive and know their options. COVIDPatientGuide.com, mm -hmm. free. Print it yeah. out, read it, and use it. I, I think your listeners are going to get medical truth on the weekend. And that is something everyone, I'm glad yeah, yeah. you brought that up. Well, he's absolutely brilliant. I mean, we are blessed beyond blessed to have uh, Dr. Peter McCullough here. Again, 2 p.m. Saturday, Sunday, make a note, people, and uh, listen to him while you do your gardening or something else or cooking or what have you. Uh, but uh, that article 
is called The Impact of Bias in Vaccine Efficacy and Deaths Related to COVID. Kathy, chime in here. One only needs to see that in Venezuela, they don't even have hospitals opened uh, anymore that, that have any semblance of what they once were. Um, and I, I, I'm very concerned about not just this infrastructure bill, but all the talk about the climate change, because back when Hugo Chavez was elected, right before he was elected, in fact, a reporter asked him, and this was like 98, 1998, a reporter asked him, well, just how much energy independence do you want here? And he said, 100%. Now, the, our audience has to re remember that the, the reason Venezuela became the richest country in Latin America was exactly because of their oil industries. And so the government basically, after he got elected in, the government took over all private ownership of those. And this is what I fear about the climate change, uh, as well as offshoring all of our manufacturing. Again, it just drives me crazy when this happens. But I think I'd like the topic of Venezuela because it it gives Americans a roadmap to see where we're headed. In fact, everywhere I travel, I run into the the folks who are the most worried about socialism slash communism are the ones who came from countries that that happened to. So they're our best uh, advocates, actually, and they're American citizens. They came here the legal way, and they are the most alarmed because they know how to read the roadmap and see the red flags. And we're seeing them all over the place right now. Um, and if this climate change thing goes through, I'll tell you what I was really worried about, Malcolm, when I saw was the executive order that was uh, reversed uh, by Biden, uh, a, a Trump executive order that um, cut China out of the manufacturing of our transformers in our um, uh, electric grid. And he grew concerned because just a couple of years ago, they found a transformer that had been shipped from China um, with a uh, backdoor cyber access. Wow. Exactly. And at that point, that's when, um, when, when President Trump signed an executive order saying, that's it. They cannot be part of our grid like this. And, and so what did Biden do? He, he reversed that again? That's correct. Yes, mm. he did. It was wow. one of those first ones. And and so now China's back in the business of manufacturing our transformers. And if anybody has done any kind of studies on EMPs, electromagnetic pulse right. uh, technology, they know that if we lose our electricity and We're we done. can't, and we, right, and, yeah. and yeah. we can't make <clears throat> Our manufacture our own transformers. We're yeah. done a yeah. lot yeah. longer. Kathy, you know, it's inter interesting about this. I've always been, it, we'll do a future program on this as well, on the EMPs. I've always been concerned uh, for uh, the... Um, this this the EMPs. I mean, I've Me always too. had a bad yeah. I've always had a bad feeling, Kathy. Me always. Too. 
And, uh, you know, I've talked about this and I've done a couple things on air about this, just so you know, over time. And it is something we need to dive back into to make Americans aware. But what you point out right now is so in your face on unsettling back to how, again, uh, Joe Biden is in bed with China. Uh, obviously, I mean, duh, you'd have to be a moron not to know this. And yet and uh, here we are. And remember, um, because I wrote an article about this back in May, I think, April last year, 2020, all about, if you recall, one of the big fears after the PPEs were discovered that we were short on the PPEs because Obama's administration did not replenish them after the H1N1. Right. Well, interestingly enough, uh, when I really delved into that, I wrote a whole paper about how uh, the our antibiotics are ninety percent made in China. Our, I mean, so many of our medications that are life saving are offshored. And remember, they hung yep. that over our, they dangled that over our faces, and they said, "Hey, if you're not good." Uh, we won't make antibiotics for you. Oh, my golly. That happened in, in plain daylight uh, with with COVID. That was happening. Everybody's got to right. remember what Kathy brings up there. I mean, it was not only the anti antibiotics, but it was a lot of other medications across the yes. board. Uh, they threatened. They absolutely. Now, this isn't a. I'm not. This isn't a theory. This is. Right. This isn't a comment. This. It is not, Kathy. Right. I mean, this is factual. That's right. This was they really said. Mm hmm. Yes. And Americans can't fall back asleep on this stuff because that's what, you know, obviously that's what the Marxists, as Dr. Lee likes to call them. And I totally agree. That's what they're hoping for. So yeah. we have to keep being in the in 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 the face of Americans. It's every one of our jobs to spread this. And by the way, and I'm pushing this really hard in all my speeches because we're out front giving these messages and educating people and doing all the research and all the homework. So, and we're the ones getting censored mm. all over the place. So it's up to our listeners mm. and wow. our supporters wow. to be our army of uh, Amen, warriors. hallelujah here. Can I hear an amen, please, somebody, you know? <laughs> Out loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Out loud style. For it to add to what Kathy is saying, Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a very, it's a much bigger, more serious problem than most Americans realize, because if you start looking at the data, actually, uh, it, 90% of the active pharmaceutical ingredients are dominated by two countries, China, and then secondarily, India. So it's not just antibiotics and some of the things that we heard about that were directly threatened during the COVID pandemic. It's all of our medicines because the active ingredients are manufactured there. And that was one of the really good things that President Trump was trying to do was to bring that manufacturing home. And the Biden administration has undone every single positive gain that yes. was made during the Trump administration. Again, Venezuela is a good example. And I'm glad Kathy and, and Malcolm, you're bringing those, that up because I've been down there and I worked in South America in between 2013 to 2016. And it was devastating what was happening to Venezuela. And that is where we're headed, where, where they are following the same playbook here that they used successfully in Venezuela. 
Yeah. Well, the evidence is clear of what's taking place right now. And people, you don't have to pinch yourself to understand uh, the reality of what we're speaking about here. I mean, this this is all, as I was just saying, Kathy, when China threatened that, the, the, these were Chinese uh, uh, officials in government. Uh, listen to me a minute, people. The, you, you go back and look at this, look this up yourself if you have any doubt of what I'm telling you right now. These were officials in uh, the China's government who came out and threatened uh, our medications and, and, and antibiotics as well when COVID was happening. Now, you have to stop and ask yourself, why in God's good green earth would we be sending vital medications over to be manufactured in communist China? Why? You have to ask yourself that, people. Why? I mean, where would that come from? I mean, that's like selling your soul to the devil, I mean, there's, there's, you, you know, you're talking about buyer's remorse. I mean, what are we going to do in that case when they hold? And then back to the EMPs that Kathy points out, which really got my, might be juiced up here because, you know, now we're talking about the fact that they have a hand in cyber. Now, let me also be clear with you that the cyber world is a real problem here. And this is how they will eventually take America down. It's not going to be through armies here marching from sea to shine and sea initially. It's not going to be that way, people. It's going to be with the loss of basic things that we count on that are going to destroy our infrastructure, destroy our apostle. And I, I fear this. I really, really, I swear to God, I fear this. It's going to, it's going to attack our infrastructure. It's going to attack our ability to communicate. That's what it's going to do. And nobody's going to be out loud at that point. We're all going to be silent, I'm telling you. And this really is what worries me the most. And I sort of see this coming is what's happening. I sort of see this coming because we're not paying attention, number one. Number two, we're fighting with each other so badly here on the homeland. We're really tearing each other's heads apart, Democrats and Republicans. Yak, 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 yak. That's all it is back and forth. Yak, 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 yak. And you hire these clowns to go up there to D.C. to supposedly represent you. And all they do is represent their own egos and their own power struggles uh, for power. That's all these people do. They enrich themselves. And we've been seeing this now for some time. It's been building and building and building. And, and we keep going along like, like nothing's wrong, people. We keep thinking that, nah, nothing's wrong. Or we, or, you know, and there are those many people, and I'm telling you, I meet people all the time, really good people. And they say to me, you know, as smart people, supposedly, and I, I say the word smart can be, you can use that smart word or intellect in various different ways because they're smart and then there's really not smart. <laughs> and then there's, uh, you know, intellect and there's really not intellect. And we see those people all the time. And then we say, well, you know, you know, we, we want to be polite again, or we think that, you know, we think that um, that uh, we want them to think of us, you know, in a nice light or like Dr. Lee was talking about earlier. They we want them to think kindly of us like we're cons we're somehow concerned of our image, for God's sakes. We're somehow concerned that they're going to talk. They're already talking crap about us. Who cares? Who cares at this point, man? Dr. Lee, last word. Well, Malcolm, you raised a common sense question. Why would anyone want to outsource our active pharmaceutical ingredients to China? Well, let me direct our listeners 
to Dr. Peter Bregan's book, The Global Predators, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, where he outlines all of the ways that big global predator business elites and politicians are in bed with China. And we heard Secretary Pompeo talk about the fact that they know who the politicians are that have been supported by China, including many of our state governors and people who are making decisions that benefit industry development in China against the the interest of the United States. So it makes perfect sense if you understand the global predator movement Mm -hmm. that Dr. Reagan has right. detailed so right. beautifully in his book. Well, and, and he's somebody we will have on as a future guest for sure, Dr. Bregan, and, and what uh, Dr. Lee points out there about that. Uh, in fact, we're going to be talking a little bit later here in the next couple of days here about China in a, in a unique fa- fashion, and we'll have some expertise on from overseas uh, r- around the world, and we'll be talking about China, Russia, some of our adversaries and foreign policy challenges that are in front of us here. Listen, I want to take a moment and thank you all, uh, as always, for embracing us and being part of the mission here, uh, certainly on the voice of a nation. And uh, we can't do this ourselves, as Kathy was just talking about moments ago. We need an army. We need an army. And guess what, my fellow Americans? You are the army. You are the army. You are what we need, an army of patriots, an army of people who love our nation, an army of people who understand and respect the amazing document that's called the United States Constitution, just after you also understand the other document that's called the Bible. If we can understand that, we have a chance, but we need the army. We need you to help us get this message out. Can't do this ourselves, man. Cannot do it ourselves. We're a voice. We're on the mountaintops. I got the megaphone and I'm, I'm rallying the troops here, but I need your help to do it, okay? I've got to have your help. So tremendous thank you here to Team Nation on the program here, Kathy Chamberlain, Dr. Lee for America. And a big, big thank you to Dr. Ron Martinelli, who you heard up front in the program. If you missed that, you definitely must listen again and go back and get it. It will be the podcast in the next day or so. You'll catch it on podcast. We're on all the podcast networks, by the way. Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart, all of them. There are hundreds of them. You can find America Out Loud Podcast Network in that regard. And otherwise, the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, you'll hear us daily. Please make us part of your daily life, so 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, you can hear us on iHeartRadio or the apps, of course. Many, many ways to hear the signal here or a world-class media player. And uh, as always, it's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. That's where the out loud truth lives, my fellow Americans. And you are invited there as part of our family always. Thank you for being part of the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud.